Well, last week, I started this series entitled, Not a Hostage. And I've entitled it, Not a Hostage, because I believe that's God's will for our lives, is that God does not want us to be held hostage by anyone or by anything. And what we are doing is we're going back into the Old Testament story of David and Goliath. And we're seeing how that the nation of Israel were held hostage, not literally, but mentally, in their minds, they were held hostage by the Philistines and in particular, the Philistine giants. You remember when Moses sent in the 12 spies to spy out the land and 10 came back with a negative report talking about how big the giants were in the promised land. And they developed a grasshopper complex as a result of that. They said that the giants are so big that we are like grasshoppers in their sight. We talked about that last week and how that many people, even in the body of Christ today, have a grasshopper complex. People who are intimidated by giants in your life. But God doesn't want you to be held hostage to any giant. And last week we talked about the fear, the, the, the giant of fear. And I believe that the giant of fear fell in a lot of people's lives last Sunday morning. Amen? And today what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about not being a hostage to rejection. Because this is another giant that seems to be holding a lot of people hostage. Now one thing that we recognized in the story last week is that David is not necessarily a picture of us. That we're really more a picture of the Philistines. That we're intimidated by our giants. That we too have a grasshopper complex. But that David is a better picture of Jesus. And Jesus came and Jesus destroyed. Jesus defeated every giant that we will face in our lives. He faced them and he defeated them. And because he faced them and defeated them, you and I can now live from victory and not live for victory. Does that make sense? Because there's a lot of people still trying to get victory. You already have victory. You need to live from your victory and not for your victory. But today I wanna to talk to you about this giant of rejection not being a hostage to rejection. And if I were to ask everybody in this room here this morning who has felt the pain of rejection to raise your hand, I guarantee you most every hand in this room here today would go up and those that didn't would be liars. <laughs> Tough folks, you know, that said nothing bothers me, nobody bothers me, but deep down it really does. And every single one of us here this morning, we have felt the pain and we have felt the sting of rejection. Maybe it's when you were young and your father walked out on you and your family. Or maybe you've never met your father and your father has never put forth any effort to try to meet you and try to get to know you. Maybe it was a spouse who was unfaithful to you or a spouse who walked out on you and you felt the sting of rejection. Maybe it was a trusted friend that you had that stopped taking your phone calls or stopped responding to your texts. I believe a lot of us can probably pinpoint 
specific times or people in our lives that have caused us to experience the pain and the sting of rejection. Rejection is a very real thing, especially in this culture when social media is constantly in our faces. And, and, and it's like every time we post on social media, we're out there asking people, do you approve of me? Do you accept me? Do you like me? You know, psychiatrists tell us that probably the greatest force in humanity is the force of acceptance. Every one of us want to feel like we are accepted. Every one of us want to feel like we're valuable. Every one of us want to feel like we have some worth. And it is a powerful human force wanting to be accepted. And like I said, rejection is such a real thing today. Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, social media constantly in our faces. And we post hoping to get people to like what we posted. Wanting to like our post, wanting to like our photos. And we're constantly checking back to see how many likes we've received or how many comments we've received from our post. And, and have you ever noticed that our likes are always on an only if basis? Only if her hair looks good did she get likes. Only if you ate at the latest, greatest restaurant. Only if you're hanging out with the coolest, most popular famous person uh, only if your kids are cute only if your boyfriend or your girlfriend is a babe do you get the likes we want everybody to like us but I want you to notice this quote that I'm going to put on the screen right now that I believe is so powerful that you need to write down take home with you today and that is that if we live for people's approval we will die by their rejection. I want to say that again, that if we are living for people's approval, we will die by their rejection. Now, I know some of you think that we pastors, we never struggle with any issue of rejection. But I'm going to tell you something. I have struggled with rejection in my life. And I can continue to struggle with it if I'm not careful because what I have learned as a pastor is I want people to like me. But what I've discovered as a pastor is not everybody likes you. Or maybe it's not you that they don't like. Maybe they don't like your ideas. Maybe they don't like your vision. Maybe they don't like who you are or what God has, what, who God has called you to be or what God has called you to do. And so I've had to be very careful over the years because when everything, when, when, when ministry first started out, if somebody would leave us, leave our church, I'll be honest with you, I would take it personally. Man, I would moan and groan and I would be depressed for days because we all have that need to be accepted. We all want the approval of other people. We, we want other people to like us. But if we're living for the approval of others, we will die by the rejection of others. Let me tell you something about David. When David went out to fight Goliath... He was fighting more than just a giant named Goliath. He was also up against a giant by the name of rejection. You understand in the story where we started it last week in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that David was still just a teenage boy. 
when his father called him in out of the pasture and told him to take some supplies down to his brother who were in the army and down on the battlefield. David was not in the army at that time, but he shows up on the battlefield and when he gets to where his brothers are, suddenly Goliath steps forward and Goliath begins to taunt the army of God and Goliath begins to defy the armies of the living God and in the process also defying God himself. And when David saw that no one was doing anything about that joker, when David saw that nobody was doing anything about Goliath, he couldn't believe it. And he said, if you folks ain't going to shut him up, I'll shut him up. But there was somebody in the crowd that day that heard what he said. And it just got all over them in the wrong kind of way. And that person was David's brother, a guy by the name of Eliab. And listen to what the scripture says in verse 28. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, and David had seven other brothers. But his oldest brother was a guy by the name of Eliab. And when Eliab heard David speaking with the men about how he was going to take care of that giant, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you even come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Now you think that the older brother would be proud of the younger brother. That younger brother's gonna show up and younger brother's gonna give his best and, 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 and younger brother's going to, gonna take courage and, and go out and stand against a giant that nobody else would. You think older brother would be proud of him. But no, an older brother's full of bitterness and resentment and anger. And look what happens in verse 28, the last part of it. He said, I know how conceited you are, David, and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So here David is being rejected by his own brother. You say, well, where did that come from? Well, you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, a prophet by the name of Samuel shows up at Jesse's house. Jesse is David's father. And God sends Samuel to Jesse's house because he has told Samuel that I'm going to rip, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from Saul and I'm going to put it into the hands of another. And he said, the person that I'm going to put it into the hands of is at the house of Jesse. And so Samuel gets to the house of Jesse with his horn of oil to anoint the new king of Israel. And Jesse brings in seven of his sons, Eliab being the oldest. And when Eliab walks in the room, Samuel the prophet looks at him and says, surely this is the one that God is going to anoint. He's so tall, he's so dark, he's so handsome, he's so strong. Look at that physique. Surely this is the man that God has chosen, but it was not the one that God had chosen. And then he went on down through the other six, and none of them were the ones. I mean, if you think about it, David was even rejected by his father because David wasn't even invited to the party when the prophet showed up. You think at least David would have been invited out of the pasture to be able to come in and celebrate that one of his brothers is going to be anointed as the new king over Israel so that he could post it on Facebook or put it out there on Instagram and let everybody know how proud of his brother he is. But he wasn't even invited to the party. And Samuel looks at the first seven and he says, none of these are the ones that God has chosen. He said, do you have any more sons? And he said, yes, I've got one more. He's a little boy out there in the pasture taking care of sheep. And they brought him in and all seven of his brothers had to watch while the prophet poured oil over David because he was the one that God had chosen to become the king over Israel. And hear me, Eliab had never forgotten that. 
He himself had felt rejected. He himself had felt the pain and the sting of rejection. And you've heard the saying before that hurting people hurt people. Well, let me tell you this. Rejected people reject people. And, and if you have a hard time accepting people in your life, maybe it's because at some point in time in your own life, you were rejected by someone. And, and we can all remember back on the playground, even in elementary school, when we didn't get picked or we were the last person to get picked for the kickball team. And you know, there's some people that still feel the pain and the sting from that, David was rejected by his father. David was rejected by his older brother. But not only that, he was also rejected by King Saul. Because look at this. When David agreed to go out and fight the giant, here's what Saul said to him. He said, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. And then he goes on and says, you are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. In other words, David, you don't have what it takes, buddy. You don't have the wisdom. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the expertise. David, you're not tall enough. David, you're not old enough. David, you're not talented enough. David, you're not strong enough. And all of us have heard that in some shape, form, or fashion, telling us we are not able, that we are only this, or we are only that. We will never amount to anything. Don't set your goals too high. Don't have too high of expectations. Don't dream too big because you don't have the talent that you need. You don't have the beauty that you need. You don't have the gifts that you need. You don't have the abilities that you need. And that's what he heard from Saul. But not only was he rejected by his father and his brother and Saul, he was also rejected by Goliath. Look at what Goliath said about him when he gets out on the battlefield in front of this giant. Goliath looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. Now, now hold on just a minute because when the prophet Samuel went to anoint Eliab, here's what he said. He said, when man wants a job done, he usually looks at the outward appearance, but he said, God doesn't look at the outward. God looks at the heart. And a lot of people have thought that to meant, well, God can't use good looking people. Look at your neighbor and say, aren't you glad God can use good looking people? He used David, and David is healthy, and David is handsome, and he's young, and Goliath despises that about him. Do you know who some of the most rejected people in the world are, people who feel rejection more than anybody else in the world? It's people who are really smart, people who are really gifted, people who are really talented, people who are really beautiful, because for some reason, so many people in our society despise those kind of folks. And I don't know if it's because they themselves have been rejected or if it's because they're struggling with jealousy in their own heart and life. But here David is, he's being rejected by Goliath because he looks good, because he's young, because he's in good health. 
And he despises him. And he said to David, he said, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, the God of the Philistines. And he said, come here, boy. He said, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. He was rejected by his father. He was rejected by his brother. He was rejected by King Saul. He was rejected by the giant Goliath. And so he's up against this giant. But notice, even though he's up against a giant of rejection he is not shaken by his rejection when he comes to the battlefield to fight Goliath he does not come looking for acceptance he comes from a place of acceptance and this morning I want you to notice four things that I have discovered about David that helped him not be shaken when he was facing a giant of rejection and four things that if you and I will do these four things and remember Remember these four things here this morning that even though we face a giant of rejection, that giant will fall and we will not be held hostage to it any longer, but we can be set free for the glory of God. Is there anybody here this morning that has carried rejection with you long enough or the fruit of rejection? What is the fruit of rejection? Things like insecurity, things like low self-esteem. Things like self-hatred, things like inferiority. That's what one side of the family looks like when it comes to rejection. But the other side of the family looks completely different from that. Some people, the way they handle rejection is to say, I'll prove them wrong. They don't think I can, I'll prove them wrong. And so you've, you're constantly working for other people's approval. You're, you're, you're a workaholic. You're, you're a perfectionist. You're, you're wanting to prove the world wrong that I am better than they think I am and I can do more than they think I can do. I'm more valuable than they think that I am. I'm worth more than I think that I am. And some people literally live their lives overachieving, trying to gain the acceptance and the approval of others. But there's four things that I see in this story. Four things that I see in the life of David. Here's the first thing right here. We have got to understand, if we're, if we're going to slay this giant of rejection, we've got to understand the miracle of our creation. And, and how many of you know that our creation is a miracle? I just witnessed it again this past week. When my third grandson came into the world, and, and, and I look back at the difficulties that my, my daughter-in-law had in her first two pregnancies that ended so, so sadly and tragically. But, but, but God, this third time around, God blessed and, 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 and God gave them a beautiful, beautiful little boy. And, and every time I see these little babies that, that have just been born, it's a miracle to me how God can take and God can form and God can put a life together like he does. And do you know David understood that? He had that knowledge when he came to the battleground to fight Goliath. Because listen to what he said in Psalm 139. He said, for you, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Somebody needs to be reminded here this morning that you didn't come from a bunch of monkeys. Somebody needs to be reminded here today that you were not the process of evolution. Oh, no. You were not. You were created supernaturally and miraculously by the God who created the heavens and the earth. And you were created in his image. In his image. 
He said, you created my inmost being. You knit me together. Have you ever seen anybody knitting a quilt or knitting a blanket or knitting something? And how much, how, how delicate it is and, and how time consuming it is and how careful and how intentional you have to be. That's the way God worked when he was creating and forming every single one of us in this room today. He said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I can just see David maybe standing in front of a mirror and he's taking a look at what God has created. Not conceited, not arrogant, but he looks at himself in a mirror and he says, I am fearfully, I am wonderfully made. Oh God, your works are wonderful. Somebody today, when you get home, you need to walk straight into your house. You need to go look in a mirror and you need to say, God, you did a good job on this right here. Oh God, you're your works are wonderful or even better than that husband when you get home today or when you get out of here today you need to look at your wife and say honey when God put you together he knew what he was doing because you are fine and some of you wives need to do the same thing with your husband you need to look at him and say man God did his best work when he created you God did his best work when he put you together because you are hot you are hunky dory I'm telling you you are all that and a bag of chips somebody needs to be reminded that you have been created by Almighty God. Why don't you thank him for that this morning? Amen. He said, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And he's talking about what was going on while he was still in his mother's womb. I'm telling you this morning, the miracle is, is that the moment that the spermatozoa and the egg come together, that's when life begins. I don't care what this culture says. I don't care what this word says. And for us to enter interfere with that would be to interfere with the work that God is doing in the womb. And he said, in my mother's womb, my frame was not hidden from you. I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You need to be reminded this morning, you were created by God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But not only that, he goes on and says this, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Did you know that God already wrote the book of your life before you were ever born? That's how well he knows you. And knowing you as well as he does. Now let's face it. If somebody, if some folks really knew us, they probably wouldn't like us, much less love us. But God already knows it all. He already knows it all. He, before you were ever in existence, all the days ordained were written in his book. You're created. You're God's masterpiece. You're God's work of art. I don't care what anybody else tells you. All I care about is what God says about you. But here's the second thing that David knew and that we need to know, and that is we've got to revel in the mystery that Jesus chose us. Just, I know I've had you do this a few times this morning, but just look at the person sitting beside you and say, God chose you. He chose you. You were not forced on him. He chose you. 
And this is, this is what Paul said in Ephesians 1. He said, even before God made the world, even before God made the world, God loved us. And God chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Did you get that? Before he ever created the world, before Genesis 1 ever happened, God already loved you. And he had already chosen you. So you don't have to perform for his love. And you don't have to perform in order for him to chose you. He's already in love with you. You just need to believe that. You just need to receive that by faith. He's already chosen you. You just need to receive that by faith. And then as he goes on, he says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God chose you because he wanted to choose you. God loves you because he wanted to love you. I think about my little, grand, my little, my little daughter-in-law this morning that just gave birth to our third grandson. The moment that she was born in Oregon, the moment that she was born, she was taken from her mother and put into the foster care system. But God, looking over that precious little girl, put her into the home of a great Christian couple who loved God, who served the Lord. After they had had her for a few years, they officially adopted her. But when she was five years old, her father who adopted her passed away suddenly with a heart attack. And so for most of her life, she was raised by a single mother. But when my little daughter-in-law, when she was a teenager, about 12, maybe 13 years old, she crossed paths with a woman by the name of Nancy Harmon. Anybody ever remember Nancy Harmon and the Victory Voices that used to travel and sing? Probably been here to this church at some point in time. And Nancy fell in love with what would later become my daughter-in-law. And she said, I want you to go on the road with me. Sing with us. Give a testimony every now and then. And so she went on the road with Nancy for a while. Now, all of these years, Jamie and I, we had been praying. We prayed hard for who our boys would marry. We prayed hard that God would, would do whatever he had to do to remove whatever obstacles he had to remove to get whoever our boys were supposed to marry, to get them connected to them. Well, lo and behold, she ends up at Lee University. How? I don't know. It's, it's just a miraculous thing. She wasn't raised up in the church of God. She didn't know a lot about Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. But she ended up at Lee University at the same time my son ended up at Lee University. When she got to Lee University, God continued to put favor on her because her roommate was a, was a young lady by the name of, 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 of uh, Rebecca Lamb. I believe it was Rebecca. It might have been the other daughter, but it was the daughter of Marcus and Joni Lamb who are, who are over Trinity or, or who, are, who are over the uh, Daystar Television Network. And so she ended up being roommates with their daughter. They took her in like she was their own. 
And I'll be forever grateful to Marcus and Joni Lamb for this because they took my daughter and they helped her with her school bills. They bought her her first car so that she wouldn't have to walk every day to school. They, 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 they made sure that when she needed any dental or health work done that, that they took care of that. It was just amazing what they did for her. And, and one year, several years ago, we were on a trip with Marcus and Joni. And y'all just, just bear with me here for just a moment while I share this with you. But we are in Israel with Marcus and Joni Lamb. Jamie and I are, we're there in Israel with them and their daughters are there. And while we're there, their daughters said, your son Micah is going out on a date tonight with our best friend, Shannon. And their first date was they were going to my mama and daddy's house for Thanksgiving dinner. I said, oh dear Jesus. Because I know my family. Please don't scare her away. Because we had heard so much about her. I'm just going to make a long story short. God did an amazing thing. And they got together. They, they were married several years ago. And again, as I said, God now has given her her own child. I say that to you because some of you, when you think about being chosen, when you think about being adopted, listen to me. I know this. I know that God can do whatever he needs to do to get you from where you are to where it is that you need to go. And it may not be a pleasant adventure getting there. There may be some pain and some discomfort along the way, but I know a God, the Bible says that he can use all things for good according to his purpose for our lives. And I know that God had a purpose for my daughter-in-law's life and he got her all the way from Dallas, Oregon to Cleveland, Tennessee, where she and my son could meet, they would get married and have a wonderful life together. Somebody here needs to be encouraged today because your circumstances may not be favorable to you. You may have felt early in your life like you were rejected, like you were abandoned, like nobody wanted you, but hear me, God loves you and God chose you and God has accepted you as his son and as his daughter. Listen to what David said in Psalm 27 and 10 he said even if my father and my mother abandon me the Lord is going to hold me close so other folks may walk off and forsake you and abandon you but God will never leave you and God will never forsake you but God will be with you always through the good and the bad hallelujah somebody give the Lord a good praise here this morning hallelujah Here's a third thing, and I'm getting close to closing here. Here's the third thing. We've got to grasp how costly it was for Jesus to rescue us. You see, when we determine somebody's self-worth or somebody's value, somebody's worth, we usually do that by how much cash they have in the banks and how many assets they have in their name. And then we say that their net worth is whatever that cash and those assets amount to. But I want to say to you this morning that if anybody ever asks you what your net worth is, you only need to answer with one thing. Your net worth is Jesus. Did you just hear what I said? Your net worth is Jesus. Notice what Paul said. He said, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah... 
His blood poured out on the altar of the cross. And I love the way the message paraphrase gets this. He says, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. In other words, you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus. And he goes on back and he says this. He said, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. <laughs> oh, I'm not just barely free here this morning. I am abundantly free. I'm what Jesus said. He that the sun sets free is free indeed, exclamation point. Somebody thank God for your freedom this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah for your redemption this morning. Write this down. You are worth Jesus to God. That's what you're worth. That's how valuable you are to God. You cost him his son. You cost him his only son. And Jesus shed his blood for your redemption, for your healing, for your deliverance. And that brings me to one last thing this morning that David understood and that you and I have got to understand as the team comes to get ready to close us this morning. And that is we have got to learn to live from acceptance, not for acceptance. You're already accepted, church. He has already accepted you. Stop trying to gain his acceptance. Stop living for it and start living from it. And when David went to that battlefield to face Goliath, he was not there looking for people's approval and acceptance. He already had it. Psalm chapter 8 was a psalm that David wrote before he ever faced Goliath. It was a psalm that he wrote when he was just a small boy. And here's what he said. He said, Lord, and I love the way the message paraphrase gives it. He said, I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. But then he said, I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? And I can just see David out there in that pasture on a hillside one night laying and looking at the vast expanse of the universe and feeling so small in comparison to it and saying, God, what is man in comparison to all of this? What is man that you're mindful of him? I feel so small. I feel so insignificant. I, I feel so invaluable. And then he goes on and he says, but here's what I've discovered. You have made man a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. He goes all the way back to Genesis chapter one. And he reads about where man was created in the image of God. And he said, man was crowned with glory and honor. You were created and then you were stamped with the image of God. And then he goes on and he says this. He said, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. That's why when David went out on that battlefield that day to face Goliath, he knew I'm created in the image of God. I have authority. I have dominion. And this giant 
is going down today for the glory of God. Think about Jesus. Jesus was 30 years old when he started his public ministry. Up until that time, he had been living life in obscurity as a carpenter in his father's carpenter shop. Now, we don't know if there were ever any miracles he performed. I doubt it because the Bible is very clear to tell us that his first miracle was when he turned water to wine at the wedding in Cana. So up until this time, he's not worked any miracles. Up until this time, nobody's been saved or healed or delivered because of him. But he begins his public ministry at the Jordan River where John the Baptist would baptize him. And look at what the Bible says. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. But then look what happens next. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. He had not done one thing, not worked one miracle, not saved one soul, not preached or taught one lesson, perhaps. He's just now beginning his public ministry and God tells him, I'm pleased with you. And from that moment, Jesus ministered from a place of acceptance and not for acceptance. From approval, not for approval. And you need to know this morning, you're his son, you're his daughter, he's pleased. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience it for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.